Well, good afternoon. It's good to be back with you this afternoon. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. And while you're turning there, I want to give a bit of an advert for DS, for the Discipleship Seminar, just because I attended my first one uh, last Sunday. Uh, This is kind of like a light uh, meal right now. If you want to grow deep in Christ, I I recommend this. Uh, I was blessed by uh, listening to our brother Wen Ping share on hearing wisdom in a noisy world, especially this, turn is a formula, seek and apply. Uh, It's important, this turning. Because many of us know about Romans chapter, chapter 3, excuse me, verse 23, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What religion teaches us to do is uh, try harder, you know, you know, pull back that arrow with a little bit more effort and somehow you'll manage to hit the target. But the truth of it is you're not going to hit the target unless you turn toward it. So as we begin our ministry here at GBC... I would like to start by making sure we're facing the right way. And this is going to be two weeks and two verses uh, taken from the model prayer of Jesus in uh, Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 11. Now, uh, you may know there's also another gospel, Matthew, that records this, but we're looking at Luke's gospel, chapter 11. Uh, I think it's clear And just like my father, the child of Scottish immigrants, he needed to find a master to teach him a trade. Disciples are men and women who want to be taught something from a master. And sometimes on this side of the cross, we are guilty of looking at those disciples depicted in the Gospels, and we say things like, those guys were, you know, spiritual midgets, because here was Jesus every day teaching these men, and they just uh, weren't getting it. They, they just were not getting it. But, but here's what impresses me about them. We, we teach a lot of stuff. I, I trained at seminary and, and then went back again because I wanted them to teach me how to be a better communicator, right? Uh, I kept going back because I wanted to learn, how do you grow a church? You know, we, we want to learn how to grow disciples deep. Teach us that stuff. There several years ago, I was in a big conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It was huge. There was, uh, I believe, 14,000 registrants. And so I was representing the International Mission Board. We had a booth. I was speaking at a seminar. Because there were so many people, a lot of people came by our booths looking for the free book by David Platt that we were giving away. They weren't that interested in missions, but free book. I'll, I'll, I'll queue up for that. But, but you know the booths that had the longest queues? They were the booths that were promising to somehow teach people how to have success in ministry. In fact, right across our booth, I don't even know what uh, parachurch organization this was, but they had this great big sign that said, you too can have explosive growth in your ministry, and then we can teach you how. Well, well, think about this for for a moment. Uh, These disciples were actually there at that wedding dinner. They saw water go in the pot and saw the pot pour out wine. 
They were there on that hillside when Jesus broke bread, and every time he broke bread, more bread appeared in his hands. They were actually clinging to the edge of that boat when a storm came up, and Jesus stood up in the boat, spoke to the wind, and all of creation bowed down. They were standing beside him when he shouted at a dead corpse, Lazarus, come forth. They literally heard him shout life back into a corpse. But here's what I notice, and maybe you can find it, but I can't find anywhere in the Gospels where the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us that trick. I can't find the place where they said, Jesus, you know, teach us how to have big crowds like you have. I can't find the place where they ask him to teach them anything except right here. Verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place when he had finished. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Call the midgets no more, because somehow these men, with no seminary degree, with no training, somehow they sensed that the secret to this teacher's authority was not in his public persona, but in his private prayers. And so only this, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples to pray, teach us to pray. And so Jesus says this. In Matthew, Matthew's account, Jesus said, pray in this way. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Now, we're, this is normal to us, right? But, but you can't possibly imagine how incredibly awesome this thought was to these disciples. They were Jews. Every Jewish child grew up in the synagogue. That's the only education they had was religious education. And every Jewish child was taught, pray one way. Call this God who's so holy we don't dare write His name down. Call out to this God, Adonai Elohim which is second person plural, by the way. Get your head around that. Literally, Lord's gods. And yet he was one. In secular Hebrew, the singular is Adon. Adon is the master of a household. The Adon is the owner of the land. In other words, Jewish children were taught to submit in prayer to the owner of all things. And then Jesus says, when you pray, because he's getting ready to die for them and bring them near, when you pray, say, Father. Can you imagine the theological implications of this one word Father, I suddenly realized the church I grew up in, I'm not supposed to move because it gets too bright, right? Sorry. (laughs) ADHD, it's hard for me to stand still. (laughs) You know, the church I grew up, 
And they, they, they didn't like this prayer. We were, we were Southern Baptists because we're from Southern Canada, my guess. <laughs> you know, you know and, and for us, this was a Catholic prayer. We, we Baptists don't, don't pray that way. And, and I believed it because I could tell for us, we were coming in not to the presence of our Father, but, but some great potentate. I remember the church ladies, especially when I was a teenager, they would come to me often every Sunday and say, Now, Ian, if you were going before the Queen of England, the head of our government, would you be dressed like that? Actually, no, unless the Queen was my mom. My mom has seen me in PJs. And less. Right? But... If I'm dressing for the ambassador of Belgium, sorry if you're from Belgium, it's just just the first country that came into my head, then probably if I was trying to impress the ambassador, I'd want to dress up. You, you, You see, father means I can come to him as I am. I don't need to dress to impress. It changes everything for me. I come boldly into his presence, not because I'm dressed well, Not because I can afford nice pants, but because he paid the price for me to come close. He brought me near. But but there's more implications to this term, Father. When, When we address him as Father, we know that our relationship is absolutely unique. You know something a father does in almost every culture I know of? except apparently in the millennial culture, because I'm pretty sure my daughters-in-law gave the names to all my grandchildren. But in most cultures of the world, the father gives a name. That means I'm responsible for the bad names my children have. They're not awesome, just to be honest. So, so my father gave me the name Ian. He, he gave my older brother the name Hamish. We're Scots after all. We have to have Scottish names. That's the first standard. Then anything else doesn't matter. It means something when you're named. Now, now God blessed my brother and I with extraordinary godly parents. Both were saved as adults. And and every dinner time, we would sit down, put something in the jar for world hunger. That's the only reason we got allowance, so I could put a penny in every dinner time. My father would open the Bible. He would read it. We called it family worship. My mom would lead us in a song. We would pray for the missionaries. It was a family time. My parents were always trying to teach us some deep spiritual principle. And so I remember one uh, Easter, it wasn't Easter, it was like two weeks before Easter, in order to teach us some spiritual principle, my dad brought home about eight duck eggs. Now I was born in the city, I'd, I'd never seen a real duck before. I'd never seen eggs that big before. You know, so I, I was fascinated by them. Now. We're heading up to Easter. Our, our, our father wanted to teach us some spiritual principles, so he built an incubator inside of our house with floodlights on these eggs. And my brother and I went down and checked them every single morning. Before we headed to school, we'd go down and check them. And then one morning, we saw cracks. We ran home from school, and you know those little ducklings came out? They were gorgeous, and we immediately began to name each of them. And so that night, 
we ate our dinner, we put our little penny in the world hunger jar, and, and just as my father's about to close in prayer, my mom says, you know, Bob, the boys have named all the ducks. I'd never seen my father like this. He threw his hands up. What in the world did you do that for? Be- because he was a spiritual man, but he's also practical. He knows that if you name an animal, it's never going to be dinner. <laughs> do you understand? If you name something, that means you intend it for something other than food. You intend it for companionship. In fact, many years later, my, my wife and I were in Borneo visiting a, a longhouse deep in the jungle. It was, I think it was like 1995 because I know the movie Babe had just come out. Remember Babe about the pig? It immediately got banned in Malaysia because after all, it's about a pig. <laughs> and, and so we were in this deep in the jungle and I was just amazed at how the children uh, are playing with the pigs in, in their inside. And, and so just... You know, fascinated. By, I, by the way, I needed a translator because I don't speak Bahasa Iban. So we had a, a Sarawak Baptist Church missionary with us, and he was translating. I'm, I'm calling all the pigs babe. And, and then I turned to the children, and I said, so what, what is his name? And they all start to laugh. And, and, and the parents heard, and there was a big commotion, and the elders gathered around. They're discussing, and, and they're talking back and forth. They're shouting at our translator. And, and finally, the translator said, uh, Pastor the name is Pig. <laughs> He's not a companion. When you don't give an animal a name, the animal is dinner. Right? Now listen to Genesis chapter 1. This is so important for us to understand. Genesis chapter, sorry, 5, verses 1 and 2 specifically tells us that God gave man a name. It says, beginning in verse 1, when God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them. You understand what that means? God, in giving us a name, has set us apart for life. He set us apart for blessing. We aren't designed to be some divine dinner. He's designed us for divine companionship. That is good news in that name. He names us for life. We see it again in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. The Lord says this, Now thus says the Lord, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Israel was in the process of being destroyed. It was not God's design. It is rebellion that runs us toward the grave. God sets us apart for life. But but secondly, if we call Him Father, that means just like Jesus, we need to be about our Father's business. We're, we're not just here to sing songs, to listen to white guys shout at us. We are here on purpose. We exist and have been given a name on purpose, and we can find that purpose in the first exhortation, hallowed be your name. When we pray, Father, holy is your name. Make it 
holy. We are inviting God to separate His name, to consecrate His name, to sanctify His name. You know, sanctification is the opposite of the word common. If you have a common room, that's the room everybody comes in. We actually have lots of holy stuff, right? You, you realize that every one of us have holy stuff. Because if something is holy, just in a secular sense, that means it is set apart. First of all, it's made for a specific purpose, and it's purchased for a specific person. For example, many, many of you know that Sherry and I are staying with Lykin. Um, this is a woman of extraordinary generosity and hospitality. I mean, she's driving us around all, you know, all over the place. She's cooking for us. I mean, literally, she's, she's baking for us. But something I've noticed that she's never said, the, the whole week and a half or two weeks that we've been there, she has never once come down to, her, to our room, laid out her toiletries, and said, here's my toothbrush, my, my comb, feel free. It doesn't happen, right? Because even though a toothbrush has one common purpose, it's made for a specific purpose, brushing teeth, and it's been purchased for a specific person. Like Ian, not Ian. We don't go sharing our sanctified stuff. Right? That's why the Apostle Paul says our marriages are sanctified. Not just one to another. Our marriages are set apart for God's glory. This is important to understand. He has set apart what? His name. It's not GBC's name. He's not hoping that somehow Grace Baptist Church will become famous in Singapore. We've got to understand that. He's not hoping that, boy, once they build this building, then Grace Baptist Church will be famous. He's not hoping someday you'll have a famous preacher. He exists for the glory of His own name. That's His purpose we can see it in Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. The Lord says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar. Bring my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, here it is, for my glory. We exist for God's glory. His name is for His own glory. And if we want to see God's pleasure and power right here, grace, we will live on purpose for His glory. We will begin every prayer with Father, right? Because when I say Father, I'm saying the one who spoke creation into existence. The one who is life, the all-knowing, sustaining, all-powerful God, He's my Father. He has set me apart for what? The glory of His name. And when we get to the place where every single ambition, every single GBC ministry, every event, every single heart is aligned to this 
one purpose, then we will see what it's like to live beneath the pleasure of the Most High Adonai, Elohim, who is our Father. Notice what happens, though, when we somehow get the idea that we are chosen because we are just that awesome. Notice what happens when we believe, oh, we're God's chosen people, and those other people are just goyim, Hebrew for bugs, insects, the Gentiles. We see it in Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 20. Let me read 20 and 21. But when they, meaning Israel, came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they go out of this land. But I had concern for what? My holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. God has set his name apart for his glory. And that's why the third commandment is, do not carry my name in vain, meaning for nothing. He's given us his holy name. We're not to be ambassadors for our brand of Christianity, for our name, but for his name. That's why in verses 22 and 23, he says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, the name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. Listen, and when the nations see this, when they see that I make my name holy among you, then they will know that I'm the Lord. Do you understand? I know this is a mission-minded church. It's not about the money you give to missions. It's not about how many missionaries we send or support. Missions begins right here. When the Lord shows himself to be holy among his people, In GBC, we cannot face the right way until we begin with every prayer. Father, make your name holy right here. Let my only ambition, not to fill up every spot in the pews, but let my only ambition be your glory. Show yourself to be holy at GBC. So that the nations will know. So that the nation, this is a mission prayer. This is a mission ambition. Setting apart the greatness of God's name in our hearts for His glory. That's all and everything about missions. I want to ask you to bow with me for just a moment. I I don't know what it is about my own heart 
that longs for recognition, platform time, personal vindication. But I do know it is likely common in this room. This bent toward rebellion, this secret longing to be the God who made me and called me by name. This constant bending toward my own glory. But I wonder if right now we would acknowledge we have been named for a reason. He has set apart himself in our lives. Sets us apart. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, he said, Do you not know you have been purchased with a price? So honor God in your bodies. I wonder if this morning you could just put aside the anxiety of the building budget or the missions budget or the attendance and way it's tracking and and just say this one prayer. Father, make your name holy in my heart. Have mercy on your people. Set your name apart in us, Grace Baptist Church. Show yourself to be holy among us. So that the nations would know that you are the Lord and they would glorify your name. Father, it is amazing to us that we have waited so long to, like those disciples, say, Lord God, we want to pray like Jesus. It's not about our pastoral team or, or our music. We want the kind of power and authority that saturated his life. We want to pray like Jesus because we want to glorify you, Father, just like Jesus did. So come to your people. You've called us by name. You've set us apart and purchased us for your own glory. Will you not fill us with an ambition to every day, with every moment, and with every breath, bring glory and pleasure to the heavenly realms. And Father, for the sake of the nations that now call Singapore home, will you not condescend and show yourself obvious in us? We ask this not because we have ambition to be great or that we want our staff to be famous. We want you to be famous in the city. Be great in our hearts. Be great among the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.